This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the grim darkness of the 41st millennium. I'm Inquisitor Temperance Price, Keeper of the Inquisition's Black Library, and this is the third volume in a report on the Valentine Heresy, an actual play podcast set in the Genesis adaptation of Warhammer 40,000's Dark Heresy RPG. This report features Game Master Tom McGee and players Ryan Laplante as Inquisitor Lucius Valentine, Tyler Hewitt as Atticus Viz, Laura Hamstra as Eli Sharp, and Della Borovic as Morgan Rawls. My report shows that the Inquisitorial Band is about to present their art at the party. Eli and Morgan gathered appropriate clothes and recovered Toby, though they couldn't get a message to their fellows, while Valentine picked up Voidstain and added security to the mansion as Atticus worked on his poem. But who will win the Duke's heart at tonight's party? And can they avoid anyone being assassinated? Find out next in this episode of the Valentine Heresy. From the Lizardman Letter Fall is upon us rather unexpectedly. I'm told on other planets that's often how these seasons feel. For us, though, it has been rather sudden going from the lovely, clear air of spring to the hot days and random rebellions of summer, and now to fall, where all of the various suitors will show off their various works of art. I've heard that Kiros has something particularly spicy, but we'll just have to wait and see now, won't we, darlings? I know this journalist, for one, cannot wait to see what will occur. The day of your party has arrived. You don't want to be throwing a party, but you do want to bring an end to these conspiracies and track down Trin Rakai, the Aeldari who has so far eluded you on this planet. And your chances of reaching the Cloud Palace grow ever stronger as Atticus continues to win favor with both the king and the duke, as opposed to Morgan and Eli, who have bombs inserted in them and are (laughs) somewhat pariahs of the society and Valentine. That's right, folks. We split the party. Whoop, whoop. So wait till Morgan shows off her shibari. It's going to be so good. (laughs) Hey. Hey. Spoilers. Spoilers. (laughs) Get ready, Clarence. (laughs) Yeah. She does the shibari to you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's a nautical man. He knows rope. (laughs) He knows his knots. Oh, my God. (laughs) Nautical man. Boo. So the party is about to commence. People are starting to arrive. I'm curious from a staff perspective valentine you you have everyone on counterinsurgency alert everything else but you also have to make a showing of putting on this party have you made any nods to decorum any nods to are there servants waiting is there a line of servants waiting to receive them what what is what do people arrive to Oh, yeah, this is the good stuff. So there is the classic. We've got the walls of the estate. We've got the gate. There's been further decoration put inside so people can't see in. They get stopped at the front. Like, he's combining 
an elite, the kind of elite club he would see set up for the Astra Militarum for the high level generals, which is there is security and you will be checked out, but your name will be checked off on this list and you will receive a drink as you are being frisked, kind of making a little game out of it being pseudo military, but also high society because gamifying it will theoretically make it less offensive, but there's no way in hell he's not checking everybody for weapons. The exceptions to that will be the high the high-end players. He can't afford to actually have somebody pat down a Versailles or a Bobberstein himself or anybody who is the name of a household. But every staff member, every lower house member, like there are going to be maybe five or six people in this entire event that have not been personally frisked because it's so high risk that then if a weapon shows up, it gets traced back to one of the six of them. They're all smart enough to hopefully not do something too fucking stupid. Cool. Okay, that makes sense. So we'll focus then on the, the big players. Atticus, are you out and about, or are you waiting to do a dramatic reveal? Well, I guess Atticus has something that he needs to put on. He's got something to wear that uh, Rubute has retrieved, so we'd have to put mm. that on. Um, how do we want to do this, Ryan? Do you want to tell me what you got me, or shall happily, I make I will something happily up? tell you what I got, because okay. I picked it Super. out. Once, once <laughs> people get through the trees, the, the rest of the property has been decorated in whatever style by by. Birino, so I'll leave that up to you, Tom, because I can't decree that. But there have been different tables set out. There are servants wandering around. There are displays. It's it's a outdoor party atmosphere. Um, our dear friend Lord Van Houten is among this. He is wearing a tailored white knee length coat. It has no sleeves. It has a raised collar, and it is open in the front. He has white, tailored pants that fit as well. It's semi-militaristic meets semi-regal in the back and forth. But under this coat, he is shirtless. He has his bare arms that are exposed, and he has a silver plate, a a decorated silver filigreed plate that is attached with chains underneath that covers Mm. his chest. So he's bare-chested. We got the... The badass abs up, but he has this silver <laughs> piece of dedication to the emperor under his coat. So it's this combination of medieval lord meets military man meets styling. Uh, and he's got some nice leather shoes. So he is decked out and looking good. Cool. Thank you. And I'll Hell say for yeah. my part of the, for Birno's decoration, desperately want to say it is just paper mache as far as the can see, <laughs> but you, you kiboshed that. You did say it was up to me though. So getting mixed messages here. I think the best way to describe the overall setup is fancy museum gala. So there are lights strung between the trees. The trees now obviously being bare, having dropped their their leaves. The leaves are still somewhat green. They don't have that perfect brown crunch because of the speed at which this goes. But a lot of the foliage that is doing this has been genetically engineered to purposefully be able to grow and shed very quickly. So you've got kind of a weird mix. The house itself is lit up. There's those base level lights shining up at the Balansong Mansion, casting huge shadows from sort of the large pillars and into the windows. But hung throughout museum style are these massive thin banners, each depicting kind of a glimpse of, you know, Atticus riding Vixtrix, uh, Atticus, you know, emerging from the ship, uh, Atticus like an imagined Atticus at war where he's dressed like a commissar because like (laughs) Birno doesn't know what the fuck soldiers look like. And then there's also King Frederick, as I think King Frederick, the matrix version of King Frederick where, you know, incredibly regal uh, sitting on a throne. I'm thinking vaguely, it was a weird pull, but uh, the cover of a lot of like the far cry games where someone is sitting very arrogantly (laughs) in a chair Mm -hmm. and, or the cover of the old blood bloodborne thing with, and we're just someone sitting regally in a throne, but in a vaguely menacing way. It's overdone around them. It's very much in that the drawing is uh, almost done in that Japanese ink style where there's a bit of blotting. Uh, oh, okay. And things are just kind of the edges are a bit rough. But the image almost seems to look like spilt ink over a page that has come through in in these images. Uh, there's Duke Wickstrop looking, you know, brooding, handsome, thinking deep thoughts about sort of the future of the nation. <laughs> and even though Birno pitch these as deeply outdated and kind of shitty it classes the place up quite considerably he's included a a singular image sort of below the rest but over the door of uh, guinevere just kind of hands held head bowed uh, but sort of a very classy and austere image of 
the sort of thoughtful person that people remember her to be, uh, beset by tragedy but rising above it. Um, and it just kind of is, is there as a memento of of the building. But otherwise, yeah, a lot of using these trees that have shed their leaves or shedding their leaves in dramatic ways, a lot of underlighting. Um, so very, very fancy looking place. And then to Ryan's point, exhibition wise, a lot of spots for art to be delivered and displayed. And there is some weird shit on display. There are paintings, there are sculptures, there is crochet, there is a, a, a variety of dance floors set up where people are showing off personal moves. Someone has set up an aerialist booth and is doing a variety of silk work. There's a whole bunch of different forms of art on display. But none of that matters as much as the big names who are are rolling in. So, Morgan, how on time to this party would you be? I feel like we're mostly on time. We're probably coming in a little bit later. And also, there's Toby's coming along, but is going to stay in the sky overhead just looking okay. at. So not even anywhere close, not anywhere, anywhere Toby could get searched by anyone just... Hanging out, obviously, if we're near the outdoors and stuff, it's like, it's a bird. He's outside. Great. Um, before you leave your boarding house, there is a note slipped under the door in a small envelope with the royal seal on it. And upon breaking the seal, you see a note from uh, King Frederick that says, listen, as you both know, you're rather under my thumb in all of this mm-hmm. and as a result, I'm going to ask things of you from time to time. You already made good use of my gift in the arena. Good for you. This next one's a bit of a more personal favor and one you might even like. My nephew is going to be on the grounds, and after all the bullshit that went down, I'm a little worried someone's going to take a shot at him. So keep an eye out, and if anyone fucks with him, you fuck them up first. Or beep, beep, kaboom. Know what I mean? Cool. I will show that to Eli for sure. So now we're babysitting a duke. (laughs) Yes, and we take this task on gladly. I say just in case this shit is bugged. (laughs) Morgan, I would say that receiving this note actually indicates to you that there isn't bug technology in the bombs because... Mm -hmm. If he had ways of transmitting that weren't just send signal, beep, boop, kaboom, he probably would have just called you. So you get the sense that you might be safe. You're not 100% certain, but this this is a clear indication that he's a slightly further at arm's reach than you feared. Okay. Much as I've enjoyed you writing letters back and forth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how how certain am I of this? <laughs> I'm <laughs> so paranoid. How much of a sure thing is someone this? who can't mechanically check it to be certain can be? Uh, yeah, which is not very certain at all. Well, that's Tom? fine then. Continue to be paranoid. God it's damn cool. It. <laughs> Try and help. And here we are. So you no! mount up your carriage. God. Toby's outside and you make your way to uh, the party. Before you get there, Haldren Warwalker arrives in a carriage festooned to look as much like a Lehman Rust tank as one could do with a bunch of, not paper mache, but basically it's a parade float version of a tank. And he rolls up, (laughs) the doors open, and he is in garb definitely designed by someone similar to the picture who heard someone describe what a commissar looks like and try to just make that so he's got a long coat he doesn't he doesn't have the audacity to have actual medals but he has you know a cool sigil that looks vaguely metally he didn't deign to wear the hat he does have a monocle and you notice valentine as he steps down that he is also wearing a fake ceremonial sword clearly having picked up the style from you um, which he shows as he gets out to like the first security person who examines it and then like gives him a look of just utter disgust. Like even as a back road brigand, this guy's like, this guy's an idiot. He puts his, <laughs> his uh, sword back in. He, he approaches you and he salutes. And he says, well met. I've come to demonstrate the, the, the art of a parade march. I look forward to seeing it, sir. Enjoy. Excellent. Very good. Ha-ha! Onward! And he, he strides uh, purposefully in. Valentine is very glad that man was not wearing any real medals, because if he was, even in character, he would have taken them from him. <laughs> <laughs> this 
episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, friends. It's Ryan here, your resident producer with Dum Dums and Dice. And I also voice characters that you've heard. And I GM season two. And I am here to invite you to help support us producing this show and all of our other shows through our Patreon for Dum Dums and Dice. You can go to patreon.com slash dice and support us today. And it makes a world of difference. Plus, if you join, you get exciting things. We have a fan-exclusive Discord. We do weekly tableside video chats. You get advanced access to episodes and the videos before the rest of the public do. You can submit names for places, people, and things that pop up in the shows. You can create your own NPCs that interact with our parties on an ongoing basis. You can get special thank yous. Heck, if you if you want, we can even do one-shot adventures with you or start up a series with you. Just patreon.com slash dice. Please support us today. It will save us from a grim, dark future so we can keep making a show for you in a grim, dark future. Next carriage arrives, and uh, Kuros uh, gets out. He's now, uh, having recovered from the gunshot wound, um, having ridden around on the Palaquin game pump full of drugs, um, he is uh, walking with a with a cane, single singular cane, um, and has an eye like a very fancy filigreed, almost Art Deco IV drip, um, sort of that he's he's almost like hanging off of like it's his date. <laughs> um, he is uh, also shirtless, exposing the uh, the bandages and everything else over his face tattoo, which of course is is a, a bummer for him. Um, but uh, unlike Atticus's long coat, he's wearing uh, a vest. <laughs> he said face tattoo. I thought you meant on his face. No, he has no. A, it's his own yeah yes, tattoo of his face. He's wearing a vest with a massive uh, frill up behind it, so almost like uh, you see on Elizabethan on the queen, everyone else, um, just a massive kind of, uh, blown out frill behind him. Looks vaguely Muppety, to be honest. Uh, it's got a lot of spikes hanging out, but he's really kind of trying to show off that he survived the assassination attempt and also like kind of draw attention away from how frail he currently is. Um, his pants are, um, just a, a sheer, um, silk, uh, and he is wearing the fancy equivalent of Crocs. Um, so kind of somewhere between a hospital patient and a fancy runway model. Uh, and he has done an aggressive amount of makeup to try and hide just how sunken his features currently are. And he steps out of the carriage and uh, looks around and says, where's, where, where's the big guy? He's just inside, my lord. Please uh, follow me and allow me to escort you in. Valentine will walk him past the lineup Valentine has been consciously forming of lower level nobles, where he has kept it slow. So it is clear that for important people, they're walking by their lessers on the way in. He's creating the restaurant with the lineup at front vibe. Uh, <laughs> and he would just walk Kiros in and gesture towards Atticus, who is in position to be standing magnanimously to meet people he wants, and with enough servants and a couple of tufts and servant outfits in the way to intercept anybody who he does not want to talk to. Do you want me a Medicaid check? Sure. What's my difficulty? Are you trained in Medicaid? Nope. Then three. I'll say one red, two purple... Uh, so I'm going to spend a story point to make that a red, um, okay. which means I believe, <gasps> dare I say it, two and three. We are. Look at that. Hell yeah. Aww. We're back, baby. We're Hi, in a old sweet friend. spot. We're not drawing a new box. Um, 
You get a boost for your general augmentation, I think. It's mm-hmm. dim light and kind of dark outside, but that doesn't fucking affect you at all. <laughs> I think that's probably it, to be honest. Unless you have anything else you want to make a case for. I'm not really sure what this role is for, so no, I don't have anything to pick. This, this is Valentine casually as he's bringing Kuros through, assessing exactly how injured Kuros currently is. Oh, uh, knowing his experience with combat medicine and knowing he has seen tape of exactly where Kiros was shot as well as his level of recovery time, I'd pitch probably a boost just for experience with people with these kind of injuries and the recovery sure, speed. Sure, great. Yep, so add a boost. Great. Let's see what happens. One success, one threat. Feels one about right, threat. actually. Okay. Um, as you're helping Kiros through, you're feeling a lot more strength in him than he is exuding, and you realize that this is a bit of a put on. Uh, he is he's clearly still taking drugs, but that might have just been his party plan anyway. But from what you know, the cane doesn't really sync up with anything. And as you're helping him, he's not putting full weight on it. He seems to be walking kind of of his own volition. Uh, and you you get the, the sense that he he may be playing up how injured he is. Interesting. Well, Valentine's going to walk him through the security checkpoints and then leave him to walk on his own. Sure. So you do that. And he, he you know, he continues to keep up the uh, the look as he goes past, but you're really not sure how how injured he, he continues to be. Um, so Kuros, consistently an asshole, Valentine thinks, as he goes back to the front entrance. Correct. So Kuros approaches you, Atticus, and just says, Lord Van Houten. We meet again uh, with pants on, but no shirts this time. You know, that's a fun, fun change of pace. Uh, listen, I, I don't mean to be an asshole or anything, but am I going to get shot at this one or am I good to just have a good time? Lord Kuros, welcome. Uh, I believe you do mean to be an arsehole, but that's all right. Guilty. Uh, I do believe someone may get shot tonight uh, just to keep things interesting. However, you have my personal assurance that you are not tonight's target. Oh, that's good. That's good. You know, I've, I've already been there, done that. I don't really care to experience things more than once. It gets boring. Okay, well, that's great. Uh, listen, I have a rather large canvas that I need to display very prominently and ideally before Versailles shows up. Do you think you can help me out with that? Yes, all the exhibits will be displayed outside, so you have the entire open. Good, good. Okay, so yard. I can just set it up like right near the entrance. I just really want him to. I want it to be the first thing he sees when he comes in. You know, mm, that should be fine. I will say and specify that you are not to disrupt or eclipse any already established pieces. And if I okay. find that you have, your piece will be relocated. Okay. How good do the pieces need to be for you to be concerned about the eclipse? Like, if they're shitty from some fucking idiot backwater guy, do I need to care, or is it just, like, anything? I believe uh, art is subjective, so we will treat them all equally. Uh, and he just, like, says, fine, thank you, uh, and starts, like, uh, gesturing with a cane to where things should be set up. And sure enough, servants come in with, like, a 10-foot-tall canvas. Uh, it's about uh, 10 feet by probably six feet and they start okay. getting it set up. It's got a, a you know, a, a, needless to say, it has a very fancy curtain over it. Um, and uh, he, he starts to, to get it set up and you notice that people are setting up uh, some small machines behind it as well. I'll lean over to one of my closest servants and, and just to confirm uh, and say, uh, um, has everything that's been brought onto the premises been cleared by security? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, we made sure to investigate each piece as it came in. Some of them are very strange, not quite to my taste, but none of them are dangerous. At least mm. none yet. And if they very are, well. it just like smacks a meat fist into another fist. Well, we wouldn't want it to come to that. Uh, do of course give, not, sir. Uh, Kuros's piece a, uh, a second look. Uh Got it, sir. If Just to be extra thorough. The machinery, it appears to be, uh, one of them appears to cast uh, red and orange light <laughs> on some kind of rotating device. Uh, the other two appear to create a small amount of, of haze. 
the haze in question, then. It's safe to inhale. Poison tested at the door, sir. All right, then. You're... Like I said, art is subjective. As long as it's not dangerous, that's fine. Very good, sir. Next carriage rolls in. And this is you, Morgan, and you, Eli. Uh, so you you pull up, Toby's circling. Valentine, you can obviously see Toby at distance. Is there anything you would do differently to greet them, or is it same same for all involved? A question he would have sorted out with Hugh Smiggleton in advance. Can he legally prevent them from coming to this party? Oh, yeah, but it's like kind of a big deal and may reflect poorly on you. So then no, if it's going to make things look bad, uh, he would, they, the, he would make them wait in line. He would make them wait in line Ooh. with everybody else. They don't get to be a big deal coming in. They have to wait behind a bunch of losers. Uh, <laughs> and when they come up, they get scanned and patted down as roughly as anyone else. And he has four security team all in the white uniforms that match everybody else. And they're designed to just haunt those two the moment they go into the event. So they have a security patrol following them at all times in House Van Houten's employ. Great. Um Morgan and Eli, what what outfits are you wearing as you step out of your carriage into the back of the line? <laughs> Sorry, that's how we've been treated ever since we showed up on that tired horse. So it's it's kind of par for the course for our situations. You know, um, apparently we secretly got the memo because uh, Morgan is wearing all white. She's wearing a skin tight like tube top that goes down to leggings. That's all white, and then a top where it looks like a dress, but it's sheer and white. So it all like tied and and pulled around her body. So it's almost like it looks like a dress, but it's sheer and underneath is this like bodysuit dress. And then Eli has like a charcoal gray suit, all dark and all matching, with a sheer uh, scarf around uh, underneath the lapels of the suit that matches Morgan's and then a mm. little white pocket square. And Eli also has Morgan's rope, which I will say is a like dark, heavy rope for repelling style stuff. And she, uh, Morgan also made sure that Eli has uh, the notepad and paper in his pocket just <laughs> in case we need it. But yep. there's nothing on it just in case, you know. Okay. And basically would have told him ahead of time, like, just keep your eyes open for whatever is going on there. Okay, excellent. And then just, the, they, he, they're stuck honestly, with these guards. Like, I didn't even say anything because he just looks at her and be like, <laughs> like hands up, like, what the fuck else is he going to do? And <laughs> <laughs> Morgan's just so exasperated with him because it's always like, tell me what to do. You're not clear. <laughs> Don't say exactly what I should do. I know that. <laughs> well, tell me what to look for. Otherwise, I'm going to look for everything. Well, if you happen to see Venom Blight there, that's something to look out for. And then what? I don't know because we don't know what will happen. Hmm. So you're halfway up the line, but still deeply in the line, just awkwardly along the hedge outside. When uh, Venom Blight's uh, cart arrives, you know, spills out, Entourage spills out, and everyone is is just dressed in like full, uh, you know, fur collared long coats. Um, you know, sycophants are dressed up in similar, if smaller, like everything. They just took the corner of everything and dragged it down slightly, so slightly <laughs> descaled. The servitor is a servitor, so nothing for the servitor. Um, and uh, he, he's got just giant fucking reflective glasses on. And uh, he he steps out um, and ignores the line. Just goes straight up to front security. Valentine, would you let him in? Or does he have to go stand in line? Venom Blight? Yes. He would get searched. He, he's not getting sure. a pass. Oh, yeah. He's not that fucking important. But all of Venom Blight's staff? Line. They're sick of fans. They're not important. They, they can go wait and go through security with everybody else. Uh, he looks legitimately crestfallen that no one will laugh at his shitty jokes for the next few minutes, but also agrees and, you know, waves them away with his now silk-wrapped hand, uh, but still looks looks bandaged. And um, he, uh, just as he, he goes to enter, he, he takes out a pair of plastic gloves and just kind of to whoever will listen in the line says, uh, for the paper mache, 
handling, you know, don't want to get <laughs> sticky fingers. Uh, and then he laughs. The sycophants laugh from far away. And uh, he he strides purposefully into the party. Valentine's just going to let that happen. I hope he enjoys no paper mache. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> so Tritimus Versailles arrives next, rolling up in a fairly unadorned carriage and steps down wearing a suit in similar cut to Clarence's. So very scaled back. He's not going for anything ostentatious. He's got one of those like little sci-fi collars that's kind of the round white collar, but with a V in the middle. Uh, just to give it a hint of yeah. old timey earth. Um, so, and bright blue, like he still wants to draw attention, but is trying to do it in a, a somewhat more uh, reasonable way. Um, he still is very much using both canes for mobility. I think having just seen what Kiros is doing, uh, Valentine, one look at Versailles, and it's like, nope, this is a guy who's actually using mobility devices the way they're intended. Um, and all, that kind of makes sense because the spaceship crash was a hell of a lot more grueling than getting shot. Mm -hmm. um, so he steps forward, uh, stops and poses as though people are taking photos just in case shoots kind of a glance at the the crowd, rolls his eyes, and then steps forward. He was just waiting long enough for all of them to see him. And uh, he approaches your security, allows them to to frisk him. Again, just very bored politician. You're like, oh, of course you got to gotta frisk me. I get it. Uh, upon finishing that, he starts to make his way inside, at which point uh, Kiros, just grinning ear to ear, says, ah, Tritimus, hey, good to see you. Look, I really hope you like my my artwork. I made it just for you. And he pulls the the curtain down, and it is a beautifully painted canvas. As we've established, Kiros is a man of leisure, spends a lot of time just doing random stuff. Uh, and it is a classic kind of Warhammer 40k level of, of painting with like bright colors and everything else. Of Versailles with wings that are on fire, falling, having clearly flown too close to the sun like plunging down to earth. And as he does it immediately, the lights behind it start spinning, adding just like red and orange fire glow to it. And smoke starts coming out. He says, look, it's you. And the crowd gasps. There's a lot of, of tittering uh, around. This is a very blatant attack. And you see uh, Versailles just turn like his face just goes beat red uh, is there anything Atticus, you or Valentine would do, or are you just going to let this play out? I think Atticus would let this play out. If these two want to <laughs> embarrass themselves at my party, that's fine. <laughs> uh, they're like, we're competing for someone else's hand in marriage. If they want to take shots at each other, that's fine. I'll dedicate a poem to the guy I'm trying to marry. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Versailles stalks forward and is just like, you have a tremendous amount of nerve, sir, to put such a, an image. I am deeply, badly injured. And for you to just, and Kuros is just kind of doing the like, the blah, blah, blah hand. Uh, and eventually uh, Versailles knocks that hand aside and then just fucking backhands him. Just a full on backhanded Whoa. slap. And the slap just it echoes throughout the party. Party falls dead silent. And Kiros just kind of rubs his face. And he he looks to you, Atticus, uh, almost asking if you're going to intercede. And seeing that you're not, just kind of nods. And he says, well, I mean, if that's not appreciation of good art, I don't know what is. Enjoy the rest of the party, you piece of shit. And he uh, makes his way away. Uh, Versailles stands kind of alone, glowering at the the painting before kind of looking to the rest of the crowd saying, and the hell do you all think you're looking at? Get back to the party. There's plenty more art to look at. And with kind of a, a last glower, he he makes his way past. Do any of you want to roll? I mean, Morgan and Eli, you're stuck in line outside, so you can't roll anything. <laughs> but Valentine and Atticus, is there anything you would want to try and get out of this interaction from a perception perspective? Or would you just be kind of letting this ride because it's two nobles having a dick measuring contest? 
Valentine 100% assumes that this was a performance of absolute horseshit because he knows from the past that Versailles and Kiro's servants are closer than they should appear to be. And at the same time, if these two were co-conspirators and then felt like we had some sort of angle on that, doing a nice big public performance where we're definitely they're definitely feuding and all this is going on. This is so grotesque and large and Versailles (laughs) has been so organized and intelligent that this could be very easily staged. So he would just be watching for any proof that it's staged. Okay. Can you roll perception, please? Sure. What's my difficulty? You say difficulty of three. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a boost for already being on the alert for this. And I think that's about it. The challenge with this role, the reason the difficulty is there at all, is both of these people are professional liars. Oh, and yeah. they're also such random bags of shit that... <laughs> it's I think for Valentine it's like they could just be the worst or they could be conspirators both would look the same so that's mainly what you're you're looking to ascertain two successes and four advantage nice what you get from that Valentine is that this is a hundred percent a performance and yet there does seem to be some heat to it there's something about the backhanded slap and the strength of it and a, almost a faint glimpse of uh, surprise on Kiros's face immediately after. And you just saw it for you know the hint of a second, but you're an interrogator. You're used to that. You're looking for exactly those little slips. So there is truth to this performance, but it does feel staged. Particularly to Tyler's earlier point, because this is absolutely not going to help the Duke in any way, shape, or form. There's no way he's going to be like, ha ha, good one. You made fun of the crash victim. Like, there's no there's no play there. So this this absolutely feels staged to you. Great. Valentine would just micro-bead that to Atticus, just to keep Lord Van Houten. He'd do it in character, but just relay. Yeah. Sir, I do believe that that was a large performance between those two to show enmity between them that may not have been there previously, but there seems to be some tinge of true emotion to the show that was just put on. I don't know whether their alliance is fractured or what exactly, but keep that in mind when dealing with either of them. That was a show, not a real conflict. Between those two and Bobberstein, is anyone really playing for the end of the Duke besides me? I believe they're all playing for it, but they may have their own secondary plans should they not win it. Hmm. They're a sneaky bunch. Agreed. Morgan and Eli, you make it to the front of the line. You are allowed in. You have your your sort of watchdog staff assigned to you who begin to follow you in. Uh, however, a royal guard sort of steps out of the, the shadows and just whispers to one of the, the four people in charge who looks at them in, in kind of surprise and then kind of nods at Valentine, but then nods to the Royal Guard and the four of your escort fuck off. Uh, the Royal Guard just says to the two of you, remember what has been asked and what is owed. And then proceeds to march over to Valentine. But Morgan and Eli, you are currently at least free to to walk the grounds. I was going to say, Morg- uh, Valentine would have headed right towards them as he That's saw fine. this occurring. Gro- Royal Guard's coming towards you anyway uh, and just intercepts you with a hand up and says, uh, Sir, the king has specifically requested that these two be allowed free reign of the party. I'm sure you understand. You will happily be compensated for anything they may purloin or steal. Understood and appreciated. Thank you. And, However... Uh, Madam, he would say to Morgan, unfortunately, it would seem that you've chosen the same color as the servants and House Van Houten at this event, and we are most assuredly not aligned. I would suggest you make your way into the manor and perhaps borrow a different outfit from Lady Ballensong's collection. <clears throat> Morgan, oh man. <laughs> as, a, as an aside, a thing I thought of prior to this. Would it be possible to have looked at the bombs with Toby because he has an auspex inside of him and then that way check if there are listening devices or not? You would be able to tell where the bombs are, but I don't think an auspex has the the scanning capability to give you like a digital readout of the bomb without having more statistics. Like it would it would be like scanning a body and be like, there are foreign objects here, here, here and here. 
I mean, for you just here and then for <laughs> Eli just like everywhere. Right. But I don't think it would be able to tell you because the thing is, it is capable of transmission because it's a remote bomb. So it could tell you that it has radio frequency available and that it's a bomb. Those are, I think, the two things it could it could tell you. So you did scan it. You got nothing. Good thinking, though. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. I do think, though, maybe you take social damage from Valentine unless you're happy he's asking you to do this. I don't fucking know, man. We're down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I've created a monster, are. and now the monster is rampaging free. Mm-hmm. If only mm-hmm. someone had written a book about this. <sighs> Eli Eli will clear his throat. <clears> throat> uh, Varn, uh, if you would like to pass along a letter of sincere apology to the lord the fuck is Atticus Van Van just shouts from up on the balcony like Van lord. Outen <laughs> lord Van Outen I do have some formal paper to write on yeah okay <laughs> and we're good nods at Eli slash Clarence turns back to Valentine I understand that you are upset with us. And yes, it is quite unfortunate that I have chosen this attire today, but it will not be like this for long once I do my performance. Is that amenable to you? You are asking for permission to steal a theme and style from my lord. What a pleasant change from the thievery you have done in the recent past. As my men has said, with writing a formal apology, clear up some of this bad blood between us. Did you prepare the formal apology in advance, knowing that you had done this wrong and come to this property? Or is this just another method of, shall we say, appeasement? To perhaps give you access to steal even more. It would be truly tragic if you took greater things from my lord now that the king would be forced to pay for it. Uh, Eli just puts up his hand to Valentine. It says, regardless of whether or not we're going to steal more, the king has expressly given us permission to be here. So please let us pass freely. I made a request. I am not preventing your entrance. Please enjoy your evening. May your art be painful. Kurt nod. <gasps> yeah, we just give it a nod. Ugh. There's that. There's that social damage. Take one social damage from cool. your boss. <laughs> As usual. But just the the lines have blurred too much. You know, getting Rebute, Valentine doesn't matter. Both disappointed. Yeah, both. That's sad. true. That's fair. Um, Atticus, you mentioned you are up in the balcony. Is that kind of? Did you return up there? Were you always up there? I, I, I think it's I probably where he was always up there to greet. Okay. more important people right they can come up there right right, right. Can okay, socialize so yeah, more privately gotcha. above the riffraff understood yeah so um finally uh Bobberstein arrives and his carriage is real shitty it is a it almost looks like a void stain carriage like it is kind of rusty little dented very much a utilitarian carriage so he rolls up and uh, there's a gasp from the line as people realize he drove himself here. And he he steps down and out, and he's basically dressed like a common laborer. He's wearing a, you know, a, a white T-shirt, uh, like a, a sturdy pair of slacks over work boots that are, he's tucked his pants into, like very Final Fantasy style suspenders, so like big, thick leather suspenders. Um pair of, of, of sort of thick work gloves and half of his face is uh, wrapped in heavy bandages. He's got kind of an eye hole and nose hole, um, but uh, you know, coverage over the mouth. Um, and so he's got half of his face, uh, full, or half of his head rather fully wrapped. And he gets out, just kind of dusts the gloves off, takes them off, sticks them in his back pocket and uh, strides purposefully up to the gate. Uh, the guards kind of give each other a strange look, frisk him. He's got like nothing on him. Um, so they, they nod, they run a scanner over his head to make sure he's not pulling a Boba Fett in that one book where he's just got a gun in a cast, uh, and just, just nothing, no, no metal, nothing scanning under there. But, uh, 
he comes in and just looks around and is just shaking his head in in disgust. Valentine doesn't really have much to add to this. He would just yeah. say, an interesting choice of attire, sir. Please enjoy the event, and I look forward to seeing your art. And he just kind of nods sadly. He says, yes. Yes, I look forward to everyone seeing it too. And then he wanders off uh, into the uh, into the gardens. Valentine is going to signal to two of his guys to just follow at a distance. Just keep an eye on him. Give him 20 feet. But very ghost. easy to do. He's avoiding everyone and everyone is avoiding him. Everyone is looking at him as though he is social strain. Just a, like he has a cloud of social strain that could just immediately hit them. And he's doing that thing where he almost seems to be challenging people. Like kind of looking at them like, will you come talk to me? And so far, no, no takers. Um, Atticus, you're observing all of this from the balcony. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the the crowd is slowly making their way in. More and more art is getting set up. Um, the uh, king's transport has arrived uh, with the prisoner and kind of have a basically just a like a box um, near the maze uh, with royal guards around it. And uh, you're kind of uh, still standing there overlooking everything uh, when you hear uh, the sound of a, a thump behind you. Uh, and as you turn, I assume fist up. No, it's like a crowded party. I would just turn regular style. Regular style. <laughs> uh, yeah. You see a, a slight refraction in in the light um, and a, a figure moves towards you. Uh, with a refractor field on, so reflecting sort of images of, of things around them. Uh, and there's a sort of snap hiss as it turns off, and uh, you find yourself looking at the Duke Wickstrop. Uh He is looking a bit rough, uh, but still handsome as shit. Uh, his suit is immaculate, but it's one of those things where the f- closer to the man you get, the slightly more disheveled it gets. So the suit itself is pressed. There's not, you know, anything out of place, beautiful tuxedo-style uh, cut, but with um, a bit of sort of old regal flair. So it's not, you know, it's not a tailcoat. It has almost a skirt to it that flares out. Um, he's got a, a rose pinned to his lapel, but the tie is open, undershirt is open. Uh, he seems to have done a loose job of shaving, but is definitely rocking a, a little bit more stubble. His hair is disheveled in a classic handsome guy way where it's clear he did nothing with it, but his hair just works that way. But it's really in the face where you see it, where it's just, there's there's a look of kind of worry and and concern that you saw on his features in the previous video feed. And he's done nothing to hide that. Whereas a lot of folks, I mean, you see Kiros down there wearing makeup. He's just wearing it kind of on, on his face. Um, and he takes a, a, a pack of low sticks out, uh, like a golden case, because he's fucking royalty. Uh, and flicks a switch, and it pops a, a low stick out. He takes it in his lips, flips it around, lights it, and just says to you, Sorry, I didn't mean to drop in like this, but um, all of this is such madness, and you seem to be the only one who understands that. So I thought mm. perhaps we could talk privately for a few moments before. And he kind of gestures broadly down to all of the weirdos milling about beneath you for all this gets started. Yes, I I understand. Uh, In a way, you are the most wanted man on Greybridge. Uh, Please, here. And I'll just reach over to like a servant's tray and just grab two drinks and hand him one. And I'll just say, uh, walk through the manor with me. There are portions that are uh, private. Uh, he nods, uh, looks at the drink in his hand, says, a few moments of normalcy before everything goes mad. Sounds wonderful. And uh, he raises his glass to you. Yeah, I'll raise it and I'll do a little cheers, a little clink on the thing. And and as you get close, he snakes his arm around yours and does the, the fancy sexy double drink. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's new for Atticus. He's never seen that done before. <laughs> you know, he's used to just like fucking pound a drink back and smash yeah. the glass on the floor. Uh, so he's a little taken. He thought he was maybe getting put into like some kind of chokehold and he's like, oh wait, no, it's, it's like, I guess a thing nobles do. And he, he finds sort of a little clumsily finds the space to 
copy what he's seeing and, and drink his drink. Sure. And the Duke kind of chuckles at that. He he sees what's going on and kind of how it happens. But unlike normally where you take social strain for not understanding this, uh, instead he he just kind of uh, gives you kind of a secret smile, like a little grin, and just um, takes a drag off his cigarette after finishing his drink and says, the fact that you don't know how to do that, that you don't really fit in here, is admittedly far more attractive than the trophies or the race win or anything else. It takes a drag and says, uh, so I've been told we have to kill a man. This episode of the Valentine Heresy features the voices of players Brian LaPlante, Tyler Hewitt, Laura Hamstra, and Del Borvik, alongside game master Tom McGee. This episode was edited and mixed by Laura Hamstra, and the Valentine Heresy's artwork was created by Del Borovic at delborovic.com. That's D-E-L-B-O-R-O-V-I-C. Our theme song is The Hordes by Megan McDuffie, and our ad breaks use the tracks No Control and Chief Spy Jazzar, J-A-H-Z-Z-A-R. All of their music is available at freemusicarchive.org. For all things Dum Dums and Dice, including merchandise and how to join our Patreon, you can visit dumdumdice.com or find us on social media at dumdumdice. That's D-U-M-B-D-U-M-B-D-I-C-E. Ave Imperator and death to all the heretics. Dum Dums and Dice has to give a special thank you to the supreme beings of our Patreon at this time. Christopher Little, George Dolby, Richard Cranium, Gavin and Abby McDonald, Logan, Fire Unfriendly, Grandma Likes D&D, Alan, Stabby Stranger, Glitch Trick, Flynn1138, Alorraine Okapi, Schrodinger's Pepper, Guy Edwards, Madre de Gatos, Lady Maiden, Garbo Ape, Locke, Sam Schaefer, Waffle Marine, Dagger Rain, Rob L, Dia De Los Hoodless, Squishy Werewolf, Remy Funky Head, Nomad, the wise paladin of the Badlands, Accent Therapeutic Services in Florence, Kentucky, Lale, Shulzari, The Long Family, Jordan Oliver, Richard Wright, Brittany Fenwick, Alex Parr, Old Man Mojo, Dragonfly, The Body Barrelers, Megan Werner, A Man Out of Time, Curtis at FingertechRobotics.com, Panda24NN, Shendra D, Your Homeboy Bones, and Jill and Noel LaPlante. If you want your name to be added to this list, you can join our Patreon too at Patreon.com slash DumDumDice. Thanks to them, and a little bit of thanks to you. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Welcome to Magenta Presents, a new horror anthology hosted by me, Madame Magenta. We begin with the five-part miniseries Ghosted, starring Beth Eyre and Lucy Roslin. Perched on a rain-battered cliff edge is a former lighthouse. It's a charming, quirky boutique hotel. Owner and sole occupant Beth has spent months renovating, absorbing its essence into her bones. It's an old building. You'll get used to it. But to Beth's horror, her first guest is a figure from a past she has tried to forget. Kira? Beth? What the fuck? Face to face for the first time in years, the pair must reckon with old mistakes, old grievances. Beth, speak to shut me. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up! And something else. Oh, I can't bear it. What is that noise? Because the lighthouse has a past, too. Beth? He's right there. Why is there blood on your hands? We need to get out of here. Kira! <laughs> Kira! I can still see him! <laughs> Subscribe to Magenta Presents wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon, fans of the esoteric. Bye! <laughs> <laughs>